Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm joined with someone who only started speaking publicly about earthquakes in the mid-1980s, Dr. Lucy Jones. When the ground shakes, thousands of people like you turn to Dr. Jones for an explanation and a sense of calm. Since retiring from federal service in 2016, she has continued to be that voice in the aftermath of disasters through her nonprofit, the Dr. Lucy Jones Center. Would you consider sponsoring this work, including this podcast, for as little as $5 a month? Because with your support, she can continue to provide this service and support for you. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now, let's get to it. In this episode, we're commemorating the 50th anniversary of the February 9th, 1971 Silmar San Fernando earthquake. This was the most damaging earthquake in the LA area since 1933, nearly four decades. Today, we're going to explore this earthquake and what it means to all of us today and why it matters still. So Lucy, let's start with what happened back in 1971. Where were you in 1971, February 9th? Okay, I grew up in Los Angeles, but that year I had gone to spend the year with other family members in Taipei, Taiwan, and was in high school there. So I got the news that Los Angeles had been destroyed in an earthquake, and basically that's all we got. And I spent many days trying to get a phone call through to see what had happened to my family. They didn't bother to call me because nothing had happened to them, and they were actually waiting for my birthday to be able to call me. So early lesson in media coverage of earthquakes. <laughs> but what really did happen now that we can, now as an as a expert and scientist in this space, what did the earth do? Okay, this earthquake happened on one of the thrust faults that make the mountains north of Los Angeles. So what really happened geologically was our mountains grew a bit taller. It actually happened on a fault that extended about 12 miles, the part that moved in this earthquake and dipped down to the north under the uh, Santa Susana Mountains and pushed them up a distance of about six feet. So because it was a 12 mile long fault and the fault moved up, the ground moved up six feet, that turns it into a magnitude 6.6. I think it's worth comparing it a bit with the 1994 Northridge earthquake. That was on a very similar fault But the Northridge Fault dipped down to the south under the San Fernando Valley, where the 71 Fault dipped down to the north under the mountains. So some areas got the same shaking. They were very close to where the faults came through. But overall, the valley received much more shaking in 94, and the mountains received much more shaking in 71. Another interesting thing, you know, we say the length of the fault is the magnitude of the earthquake. Here you can see a bit of nuance. The fault was actually longer in 71, and the magnitude just a shade smaller in 71 than 94, because the amount the mountains moved up was bigger in 94 than 71. So it's a, they all tie in together. So let's explain what actually happened. What was the impact? It was only 50 years ago, though many of the impacts have been lost to the generation since. In fact, the community of Sepulveda, where there was major damage, has since been renamed. So when we talk about 
losing the history of this earthquake, we actually have lost some of the actual neighborhoods by name where things actually happened of significance. So the major impacts in this earthquake were three. A lot of really badly damaged buildings, damage to dams, which required huge evacuations, and damage to hospitals. Let's take this one by one. There were some dams in the mountains that were damaged. The most significant one was the Van Norman Dam, where its floodplain would have taken out a large number of people, badly damaged in the earthquake, on the verge of failing, and they had an emergency evacuation to move tens of thousands of people out of the way. 70,000 people were evacuated for four days underneath that dam. That was the area basically of Mission Hills, North Hills, along what is currently the 405 freeway. If there had been a slightly larger aftershock, that could have completed the damage to the dam and, and caused the inundation. So they were rapidly trying to, to drain it out. Now, buildings. You drove through the area of Silmar after this earthquake. You would have seen some completely collapsed buildings. And many of people's homes were completely destroyed. And they were, you know, they lost their homes, could not move back in. And it uh, inspired a lot of issues around how we were building buildings. And of these buildings, there were also four hospitals badly damaged, two of them where they ended up having to be torn down and where many patients died in the building. One was a VA hospital, one was a psychiatric hospital. So we saw people dying, we saw the freeways coming down, we saw the hospitals coming down and we saw people's homes uh, just destroyed. The last piece is, you know, we have what are called unreinforced masonry buildings, basically brick buildings where the bricks are holding up the walls. They had done so badly back in the 33 earthquake, we changed the building code. What we saw here was there were still plenty of them around, all being destroyed in this earthquake. And it really brought home the idea that a building code only helps you with future buildings. It doesn't make bad buildings disappear. With this earthquake, like every earthquake or any disaster or significant event, we have this very small, rapidly closing policy window that has a chance to correct what we've learned with the attention of both the public and the policymakers. Everybody's sort of on the same page. I didn't feel this quake, right? I wasn't even born yet. But I know that the generations since 1971 are benefiting from the impacts it had on policy. You just sort of mentioned some of these changes changes the way we view and address earthquake and seismic risk. Exactly. This earthquake has had a huge impact on your life, the lives of all Californians, even the ones that weren't here when it happened. It allowed us to weather the 1989 Loma Prieta and 94 Northridge earthquake with much less damage. You know, we do a great job of preparing for the earthquake we just had. The focus of everybody's, you see what the problem is. It's really visual right in front of you. And this earthquake in particular, as sort of the first one after Los Angeles had really become a major city, it highlighted a lot of problems that did end up being addressed. You know, I was talking about all these buildings that came down. One of the hospitals had only been opened a few months before the earthquake happened, and yet it collapsed. So we have a large number of changes that showed up in the building code. We had the 1976 code, because it takes a while to understand what happened and get it implemented, got rid of many of our problematic buildings, things like the non-ductile concrete buildings, the soft first story buildings, 
and the building code was changed and many of these problems are no longer being built. We also had our first hospital safety law because we lost the use of four hospitals and we recognized this is a time when we need hospitals. So there was a lot of public incentive to move forward on this. Another interesting policy change that happened is a a very famous one to us geologists. This earthquake, the fault ruptured to the surface, meaning there's actually an offset at the ground that can't be stopped. And in this case, that fault ran through people's houses. And you could see that houses literally ripped apart as the fault moved through them. And the people were like, oh my God, how could we have imagined this would happen? And the geologists are all sort of going, "Uh, actually guys, that's what we do. We map where the faults are. We know where it's going to be. So there's this great geologist, Clarence Allen, who just recently passed away, who was part of that response, saw the faults going through people's houses, faults that he'd mapped and recognized that there was a chance for a real policy change. And he put the effort into a lot of work with Sacramento, pointing out that we knew where the faults were going to be. We could give you that information before the earthquake, and you could have a law that said, don't build across an active fault. And because of his work, that law actually got in place. It's called the Aquas Creole Act. It took many years. It was in the late 70s that it actually passed. We have to work at implementing it. Because it's one thing to map a fault and know that it's there. It's a whole other set of work to know that it's active now. It has also had an impact at the federal level. There's something called the National Earthquake Hazard Reduction Program. And the impetus for that began because of the 71 earthquake. It is, again, passed in the, in the late 70s. Um, it funded my PhD work and the job I held with the U.S. Geological Survey for most of my career. It funds the seismic network. So we can sort of attribute this earthquake to you being with us today in the role that you're in. I think that's right. I probably would have taken some other research direction if it hadn't been knee herp with a you know chunk of money to keep me going in graduate school and, and take this approach. So earthquakes can have a big impact and 71 probably more than any other earthquake I can think of changed the way California and the United States addresses the earthquake problem. And I think what's interesting is that policy window that I talked about earlier that closes quickly stayed open a bit longer for this one. And policies were being enacted for the next 10 years or so that stem from this one quake. In Los Angeles City, for instance, Councilmember Hal Bernson led the effort in the late 70s and early 80s to require retrofit of brick buildings that had then led to the state adopting a similar requirement for all cities based on the work in LA. So a question that keeps perplexing me is, Why did this earthquake lead to policy changes that are so significant, as you mentioned, but Northridge, just 23 years later, didn't? What was different in 71 versus 94? I've been trying to understand why this difference is there. I think one thing is that in 1971, most of the damage surprised us. And therefore, most of the policy changes were future-looking. Let's change the building code to get rid of these concrete buildings, to get rid of these software story buildings, to get off of the faults. So it was legislation that said, don't do this in the future. You know, the retrofitting law that you talked about for the city of Los Angeles was much harder to pass, but took 10 years to get it uh, and and a huge amount of work because it's 
it's a much more difficult political action to say you as a private owner of a building have to spend this money to make these changes. By the time you get to the 94 earthquake, most of the damage that happened wasn't a big surprise. It was the same stuff that had happened in 71, but just because you've changed the building code, you haven't gotten rid of your old buildings. And we saw it all over again. So what we really needed out of Northridge was retrofitting laws. And those are just so much more difficult to enact. People tried in the 90s, it didn't go through. And you have to wait till 2015, till the city of Los Angeles finally enacted the retrofitting to get rid of these buildings that had killed many of our fellow citizens in two different earthquakes. The big takeaway here is, is what we learned from this earthquake, but also that this earthquake will happen again. Northridge, as you mentioned, was a similarly sized earthquake that happened just over two decades later. And it's absolutely certain that Southern California will experience an earthquake of this size again in the LA area for sure. How often do earthquakes of this size sort of happen in our region? Well, it depends on what you mean by our region. Let's say LA City, LA Basin type of area. Uh, We have had three earthquakes in the 20th century, 1933, 1971, and 1994. So a good approximation is this about happens about three times a century. If you look over a larger area as your definition of Southern California, include Riverside, San Bernardino County, et cetera, there are a lot more faults and maybe it's about once a decade, but somewhere in Southern California, we'll have an earthquake of this size. So we can learn from what happened in the past, but we also can take action because this is going to happen again. As we commemorate significant anniversaries, because that's what we do as humans, we mark the passage of time both to remember, but also to distance ourselves from the past. From this conversation, it's clear that we must keep this and other damaging earthquakes in our conversations as we seek to manage the earthquake that will inevitably come. And as always, we could go on for much longer on any aspect of this earthquake, So we'll have to do it again. Until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music was written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.